Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. We on are back. This Wednesday edition. Drew McIntyre, WWE superstar, getting set for SummerSlam. He'll join us in 20 minutes. Always great. We'll catch up with him again. Uh, and Dan Z from Outkick.com later in today's show. Plus, let's get weird and much, much more. Uh, Chad, I love the fact that Sean Payton blasted the NFL's gambling policy in comments to the, the USA Today or through that, the USA Today. But uh, betting on the NFL is pretty clear cut. I understand the complaints about everything else involved in sports gambling and whether or not players, anyone in the league should be able to do that. Um, it should be as simple as don't bet on the NFL or anything involved in the NFL, and that's it. Um, but uh, recently, with uh, comments to USA Today, Sean Payton, who just had one of his players uh, suspended for a full calendar year, and when this takes place, if you're caught betting on the league, you are not allowed at the team facility, can't go to workouts, can't do anything involved with the organization. And in this case, with the Razaruki, his suspension is 12 months, and that means he's missing all of OTAs next year. Uh, he's missing anything at the very start of training camp, and he can't be a part of anything behind the scenes within the team facility. And that's ultimately where Sean Payton's frustration is. But his comments are piercing just because he's one of 32 head coaches. And to my knowledge, I haven't heard any other coach or seen any quotes that have been this blunt about the policy. We've heard from players and certainly talking heads like us and others have complained or thought of better solutions that was thrown together for the millions and billions that the NFL will make in the partnership with what's going on with all of these apps, uh, all of these uh, companies, and of course the casinos in Vegas where a team now resides. But the quote, when you have a bunch of players getting D's, you have to start looking at the message. And we've had a lot of D's in our league this year with this policy. Shame on us whenever he was told that with his player's suspension, it's now double digits for players that have been caught doing this. Shame on us, Peyton says. And we're going to send them home for a year where they can't be around. The idea that you just go away, shame on us. So he takes issue there. And then he was asked, well, what was your message whenever everything was clarified uh, a couple of months ago to your team about the policy? Quote, you can't bet on NFL football ever, ever, ever. I don't give a bleep what it is. The other thing is, it's the same as the gun policy. You can't bet on nothing if you're at the facility, your hotel, your airplane. So wherever you can't carry a gun, 
you can't place a bet. First time I've heard it described that way, that it's the same as where you can't carry a gun, you can't bet. And then he points out the hypocrisy. He goes on. I know this. There's a handful of owners that are owning these quote-unquote problems. A player can't have a share of DraftKings or FanDuel. It's shameful. Embarrassing. I, I don't know how... The coaches and general managers have to be you know, on edge thinking about this. At least I would be. Because you don't... It's all retroactive. So it doesn't matter if the player knew or did not know based on the, the leeway that the NFLPA gave the NFL to come up with this policy. They're still suspending you for a year. They're still suspending you for six games. And in many of the cases, the players have just copped to it and said, yeah, I, I did it. I didn't understand it, but I did it. The NFL doesn't care about that. They were also asked on a big conference call uh, recently uh, through the league. Uh, one of the league spokesperson said um, no. And, and that was the answer of if they're going to adjust the policy, they have no intention of doing that whatsoever because they're looking out for the integrity of the league. But, Chad, the only way this actually changes and it's adjusted is if you have one of the true superstars out for 12 months and then you have owners look around going, man, if we don't have our top player, if we don't have our quarterback who we do everything to protect because of a bet that was placed in six games, let's just not even mention the NFL, but he bets on a UFC pay-per-view. And he happened to do it in his car with a Wi-Fi hit on as he pulled in the parking lot. Uh, we're screwed. We have to adjust this and make it more common sense, uh, uh, bring that approach. But in this case, it's clear cut to me on NFL and where you can and can't do it. And Peyton kind of lined that out. But he also, I understand where he's coming from on you're told to, you know, get out of here for, and you, you can't do workouts or, or anything in that regard uh, around the team. And it's, you know, it, more or less, you're losing that player. Because why, why, you're, of course, going to release him because you want to replace him in camp. And you also, you know, want to get production and develop a player over time. You can't do that here. Well, as he said, shame on us. It, it is both the NFL who came up with the policy, but the NFLPA that agreed to it. So there's a little bit of blame to go around yeah. on both sides. But ultimately, it's the NFL that wanted to enact this policy, and uh, the other side had to agree to it. I mean, he's spot on right and everything. He said he even made the example of, you know, I was sent away for a season with everything that happened with Bounty Gate and was told, don't communicate with your coaches. You know, he said, like, I'm going to call them and tell them what, you know, plays to call right. during the game. You're excommunicated at that point. So these players are exactly the same. They're gone. They're they're on an island. They're, they're on their own at that point. That's not how you help anyone, and it's not helpful. I, I agree with pretty much everything Sean Payton had to say in this. I, I'm glad that he had the stones to say it. Yeah. And uh, it takes a lot of clout to be able to say that, and he certainly got it. I, I wonder what the league's response will be privately to him if he gets a call from Roger Goodell that says, hey, you want to talk about this in private well, instead you know, of they, going out and blasting it the way you did in this podcast? I doubt they like each other very much the same way Goodell and Brady – you know, have butted heads over suspensions. You know, Probably. going back to Bounty Gate and all that. Um, but, I mean, I understand the league's policy from the league's betting stance. Everything else, though, the six games is just 
way too much. I agree. For, for, for what it is and it, whether or not it's harmful to the integrity uh, of the league itself. Uh, Chad, Peyton puts the NFL on blast in the policy there. Shame on us. You made mention about 10 minutes ago, you've got Stephen A. Smith and uh, Dan Lebetard. They're burying that, the hatchet a bit. That's what Stephen A. said on a recent podcast. And they talked on the phone. They're still friends, but they're still mad at each other. Yeah, they, they, they're still... Uh, they disagree yeah, with like, each other. like, hey, I, I still like the guy. We're still friends. We've been friends for 20 years. Uh, Stephen A. had some funny comments in there. Um, but, I mean, I'm, they're, all, they're doing exactly what they're complaining about by airing all this and creating content in the middle of July in the slowest month of the sports calendar year, they're, they're coming up with this to debate. Well, I know we got a video. And that's to get exactly to, what this show, what they're this, complaining about with the shows. The start of it was Stephen A. Smith as a guest on one of Dan Lebitard's shows. Dan Lebitard said, I hate what you and Skip Bayless did to sports television. And Stephen A. Smith's response is funny. Immediately he's like, well, what, what about you? What yeah. about, were you not on sports TV? I mean, they immediately started going at it then. And since then, there's been some sniping back and forth. But now, Hutton, we've got one of Dan Lebetard's. Well, Stugatz. Yeah, uh, partners. Stu, yeah, Dan Lebetard's show with Stugatz. And, and here he is discussing uh, selling out uh, in regards to Stephen A. and Bayless. I've been thinking about this during the break, and we discussed this for a while now on the show. But journalism, as we know it, as you know it, what you wanted to do when you were a little kid, okay, it has changed. It has. It's changed, okay? You're not wrong. Stephen A. Smith is not wrong. You have to adapt sometimes, okay? Because the game has changed. Your priorities have shifted. No one cares how someone goes and gets the news that they get as long as the news is accurate as long as it's coming from a credible place. If it's Woj, if it's Adam Schefter, if it's you, if it's Diana Rossini, if it's Shams, nobody cares. You might care. Greg Cody might care. Stephen A. Smith might care. But you know what? You all sold out. Every single one of you, okay? Stephen A. Smith jumped inside the circus tent. I don't blame him. Why'd he do it? Because he had to do it. Because the game has changed. You jumped inside the circus tent. You did. You did so with me. Think about that. With me and with Greg Cody every Tuesday, okay? And so you have ditched journalism a long, long time ago because why? Survival of the fittest, Dan. You have to change with the times. You have to roll with the changing environment, roll with the changing industry, and that's what you decided to do. That's what Stephen A. decided to do. There's Stugatz with Dan Levitard. And, and this all really got going whenever Levitar was reacting to the layoffs at ESPN. And he called it the darkest day uh, in, you know, in the industry based on what had happened. And then it spun off into what ESPN became, which is first take. But what Stu Gotts is saying is true. What Dan Levitard is complaining about is true, that the journalism as we knew it is not there. Um, but also, like, I understand Stephen A.'s point when he's on the podcast for uh, responding. In his response, he's saying, hey, we spoke, we, you know, hashed it out or whatever. But he goes on to say, Dan Levitard was talking. I didn't like some of the bleep he was saying. I particularly didn't like him constantly bringing up ESPN and complaining all the time. Because I'm just one of those dudes 
that if a place is good enough for you to collect a check for years, why are you ripping it every, every second you get? I just think it's Bush League. And then he says, acting like he was teaching at Miami U and he wasn't a part of this industry. Got your own damn show. Got your daddy sitting in the middle of you and Bamani Jones half the time or someone else. I mean, that, that was highly questionable. That was the show. I mean, so I, they're both making good points, but they're also, they're doing exactly what they're debating in the moment as we're going back and forth covering this more than what Dan's talking about is not covered enough. I completely side with Stephen A. Smith in this argument for, for this reason. While I don't often agree with Stephen A. Smith and think it's a little bit over the top, he seems wildly more self-aware than Dan Lebitard. Dan Lebitard seemingly lacks a lot of self-awareness on this and how he goes after ESPN, how he won't acknowledge that he too sold out and he too made big checks, big paychecks from ESPN to do something different than what he grew up wanting to do in journalism. And Stu Gotts is a thousand percent right on everything he said and what we just heard. Completely agree with him. Now, I don't think you have to sell out. I do think journalism still exists in some corners, but it's, it's hard to find. And it doesn't pay well. And if you want to make money the way Dan Lebitard made money, and still makes money, the way Stephen A. Smith makes money, yeah. There was a time where everything went to embrace debate. And they saw that that was what was coming, and they were pretty good at it. So they decided to dive in head first and collect the checks to do it. And now Dan Lebitard wants to come back and bemoan the fact that you know Stephen A. Smith is a part of the culture that was built and embraced debate. So I don't like Lebitard's seeming lack of self-awareness in all this and the role he played in it also. Well, and, yeah, I think there is a sellout nature to pretty much everyone in media, unless you're just doing well, hardline journalism, I think though, there's also a different level of selling out that goes the, on. I don't think the sellout happened with Stephen A. and Bayless. I don't. I, I think this, the, the, the sellouts came in trying to parrot and mimic that show. And all, I think that was the original point. It wasn't, it, he hated them for what the industry became. And the industry became mirror or tried to mirror first take everywhere so because they were so popular and so good all the you know all the media companies and espn who had that show tried to re mimic it with other shows throughout the day part and you just could not do that and that's where the the fake bs really comes into play and then it came back around to stephen a who was caught off guard by the question whenever he joined initially and that's why I said, oh, how about you? But, it, but, but it had a Dan Lebitard was also a successful host on ESPN. And then he still did his radio show. He still did an extra hour in the local Miami area. Yeah, and I think Dan Lebitard has always kind of been his personality. I, I yeah. had him on my local radio show back in 2004, you know, before he was anything on ESPN. And same he's guy. sort of exactly the same way with big opinions. And I, so I don't know that he really changed. He just started making a lot more money doing it in a more prominent role mm -hmm. with more eyeballs on him. So, I mean, we can I, go back and forth about who sold out and who di didn't. I think you know, most people, if you still are alive in sports media today, you've probably sold out a little bit at some point along the way. 
and everyone has to have enough self-awareness to admit that. But there's also very different levels of selling out. Uh, of what of what Dan Levitard is accusing Stephen A. Smith of doing, I don't I don't know that Stephen A. Smith is being something drastically different than what he is either. No, right? What, either he guy. just took the opportunity and then I, ran with it and made a bunch of money doing it. As far as the journalism aspect of it, I think both guys do their homework and their background on whatever they're going to discuss. Um, I think the shows that were spinoffs of that were more of like, we're going to put topics in a hat, you pull it out and you act like you care about this specific issue and read a headline and somehow spin off something that will create debate. Like the, the fake aspect of that. Uh, I don't think a lot of what Stephen A is doing is fake. I think he cranks it up to 11. But when he's speaking on a subject, I do think he's done his due diligence to be informed and informative on that topic. Same as Dan Levitard. I don't think they're the big issue. I think it's just the mentality from up top trying to get everyone else to be. Either way, I love a good media feud. So good good job, guys. Go after it. Please keep going. Feuds in WWE. Drew McIntyre joins us next on Hot Mike. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, if you're listening to this great radio partner, uh, hope everyone's having a great Wednesday. And uh, pleased to be joined by WWE superstar Drew McIntyre. SummerSlam coming up on Saturday, August 5th, exclusively on Peacock. It's a week from this Saturday. And Drew joins us right here on the Outkick Network. Good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Things are absolutely fantastic. Excited to be back in WWE. Excited for SummerSlam coming up. I know in Detroit, it'll be a fun one. Kind of wish it was in Nashville like it was last year because it's only down the street. Nonetheless, I know Ford Field will be awesome. Yeah, it, it, Drew is literally down the street from where we sit right here at 6th and Peabody in, in Music City. Uh, you've got Gunther coming up in, in a another match, which you had at, at WrestleMania. These... You and him, and, and there are a couple of others that are just known for a very tough physical style. 
mentally going into a match like that, I'm sure he's feeling the same way. Do you enjoy it? Or is this something that you know is going to be something you feel for a while? Uh, both. I do enjoy it. And I know I'm going to feel it for a while. <laughs> uh, much like WrestleMania, when it was a triple threat with myself, Gunther and Sheamus, um, who also lives in this area. Yeah. Uh, we all have very physical styles, uh, similar philosophies when it comes to this industry. Um, you know, for people that are watching the show for the first time, I always hope they see one of us in the ring. So whatever they think they know about WWE, whatever preconceptions they have of this industry, they question when they see how physical and violent we are towards each other. The Intercontinental Championship that was what is at stake here. You are a multiple-time championship and 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 title holder in WWE, two-time champ. Uh, and you did that during the, the COVID era in the bubble, which was uh, outstanding with without much of a crowd there for sure. Uh, from the, the championships that you've held, Drew, where's the Intercontinental Championship based on where you're from uh, and, and all of the lineage that has been a part of WWE through that title? Yeah, that's the first title I ever won in WWE, the Intercontinental title when I was 24 years old. And it meant the world to me at the time. You know, as a kid, I always seemed like uh, those that became world champion had a great run as intercontinental champion, the Bret Hart's and the Shawn Michaels and the likes, people I was big fans of as a kid. So I won that and thought, ooh, I'm on my way to becoming world champion. Little did I know that things would take uh, a sharp, sharp turn and then I would get fired and I'd have to work my way back to the company. And I worked my way to that world title and won it a couple of times, as you mentioned. and. Uh, to watch the Intercontinental Championship during that period was interesting because it used to be such a prestigious title and somewhere along the line, it lost that prestige and just wasn't as highlighted on the shows as it used to be. You know, wasn't as sought after, wasn't as such an important match as it used to be. And all that, you know, started changing over the past couple of years. But our current champion, Gunther, you know, I have to give it to him. He's done such an incredible job with the title over these past 400 plus days he's had it. It was a great match. He's really brought back that importance and that prestige to the championship. So I absolutely commend them for it. And I you know, kind of feel bad. And I'm going to have to go into this big match at SummerSlam over 40,000 people beating each other up and taking the title off him before he's able to break the record, which is currently held by the Honky Tonk Man. I don't even know how many days that is, but I know if I beat him, he doesn't break Honky Tonk Man's <laughs> record. So Honky Tonk Man, I'll give me a couple of drinks. Drew McIntyre previewing SummerSlam, which is coming up a week from Saturday, August 5th on Peacock. Um, how, how, what was the age range for you on the independent circuit? You mentioned you won this title, uh, in, at the age of 24, um, it, the grind on the independent circuit is something I can't imagine, but you're doing it at a very young age. Does it feel different? Is it longer? Is it a shorter time span because of the youth? Walk us through your, your path to WWE. Well, I had two different stints on the independence. My first, uh, I started wrestling at 15 in Scotland uh, through to 21 when I got signed by WWE. In my last year of college, uh, I was finishing my degree in criminology. I was signed the same year to WWE. So it was basically just weekends. I would wrestle, summer holidays. You know, you get three months off school. I'd wrestle through the summer. And whatever free time I had was spent wrestling. But the UK scene at the time was... You know, in its infant stages, it was decimated. It used to be huge in the 70s and 80s, but there was basically nothing at the time. Very small shows in front of about 50 people and a farmer and a dog. 
sometimes <laughs> like it was not the best place to learn, but it's all we had. And I got signed to WWE and was put on TV right away. Became the chosen one of Vincent Man, won the Intercontinental title. Seemed like I was destined to be the you know top guy in the company, as Vince himself said on television. But unfortunately, you know, due to a lot of things uh, outside of the ring, personal issues and losing my mother, you know, I took a kind of dark path and you know, I ended up fired. And that being fired and returning to the independence is what helped me grow as a performer into the top level superstar I am today, but more importantly, to myself, grow as a man. I have to give the wife credit for that. You know, I, when I was outside of WWE, I was doing that independent schedule, probably harder than anyone in the world, really trying to make that name. But I was still burning the candle at both ends, then setting the candle on fire outside of the ring. Like, I was absolutely out of control. And as well as I was doing, as far as the world was concerned, I was still, you know, had those negatives in my life. And, you know, I broke my neck in 2016. Um, had the first period where I was ever stationary, where college weren't telling me where to be, where WWE weren't telling me where to be, where my independent schedule wasn't telling me where to be. And I had to you know, come to Jesus talk with the missus where she said, they're going to crash and burn eventually acting like this. And, you know, I'm going to leave your arse. And I had to look myself in the mirror and go, you know what? She's right. I got to change, not just for her, but for me. And I cut those negatives out. I saw my body change dramatically. And I was always an athlete, always in good shape. But I started checking out this diet thing that I always heard was 70%, but never believed it. Turns out, it's right. You know, I went from about 245 to about 265, you know, in quick order. And just the, you know, body shape changed. I have very good genetics. And I do work out very hard. But just to cut out that alcohol, to start changing that diet, to see those dramatic differences and start improving other areas of my game. And realizing with the accent, you know, I have to be careful, you know, and enunciating a lot of my words so the world can understand me. The Scottish accent is the hardest accent in the world to understand. I started working in those weak areas and suddenly I was back in WWE. Suddenly I was getting these huge opportunities and suddenly I was world champion. So that second period in independence was so essential for my growth. You mentioned burning the candle at both ends, Drew McIntyre. With, how do you keep up with your schedule? Like the, the live events to, you know, the, the charity things that you'll do behind the scenes. Uh, interviews like this, and then knowing city to city, town to town, where you're going to work out, how you're going to eat healthy, and then jump a plane or catch a car and, and get to the next stop. How is all that mapped out for a WWE superstar? Um, when it comes to how I handle it, I don't know any different. So that's very helpful. Um, this has just been my life for so many years. But when it comes to the schedule, yeah, thankfully, I, I got a team that helps me with that. Um, <laughs> Do you ever get it WWE, mixed up? You ever get confused on where you're supposed to be? Oh, I get confused all the time. Um, and I'm wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> it's crazy. When I think I'm doing one thing one day and I'm not, or surprised, oh, I forgot this interview here, and I'll run into it. Um, but we have a calendar, like an app, thank goodness. It was, I only came around the past couple of years, and it's so helpful. Um, where our dates and appearances and where we have to be are all mapped out. And I basically every day I'll check just to be sure what have I got going on here? Has anything been added here? Did I agree to anything I forgot here? And you know, I had that three months off, so I wasn't in the, the rhythm anymore. Even doing these interviews today, I forgot my password to get on the computer <laughs> because I've, I've done thousands of interviews these past few years for more than anybody in the company. And just that little period off, I was like, wow, it's been a while. I can't remember my password to get on the computer and, you know, I'm getting back into the rhythm of things. And, you know, we really jumped in with, with two feet with the schedule. So right now, my schedule looks probably crazier than it ever has, but, you know, it's the nature of the beast and I wouldn't have it any other way. So your passion is, is wrestling. Is the is it, it one is it is it one B criminology? Like, are you like binge watching forensic files and doing that? I know you're into uh, conspiracy theories and things. I I 
don't know how much I am, but I do buy into some things. Uh, FBI, like, where would you be if not where you are right now? Would you be doing something like that? Uh, I mean, I think preface it with got to be careful when you say you're into conspiracy theories these days. Um, well, fair when enough. I was younger, when I was younger, I was very much into uh, you know conspiracy theories and with the uh, smoke was fire. And I realized when I was about twelve. <laughs> You know that obviously a lot of these might be true, a lot are not true. The ones I find out are true, they're probably off me anyway. I probably should focus on this wrestling thing. <laughs> yeah. So I realized that when I was about twelve. But I still enjoy watching the shows. I just try not to go too far with it like I did when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, maybe I'd be involved in um, with some kind of work. Uh, if we don't have like an FBI in the UK, like <laughs> like some kind of a Scotland Yard or something. Uh, I don't think I'd just be a regular cop. I'd want to do something really outside the box because I've always thought that way and been into a lot of weird stuff growing up. And, you know, that mentality has led me down the path um, that I went down because I knew, you know, I just wasn't into the same things as other people. But I just can't imagine not doing something in this industry. I knew since I was five years old I was going to be involved in wrestling and be it at the level I'm at, be it um, at a smaller level. I do believe I'd be working it in some capacity. Drew McIntyre with the SummerSlam coming up a week from Saturday. It's August 5th, exclusively on Peacock. You can catch him for the WWE Intercontinental Championship against uh, Guther. Uh, always great to catch up with you. And by the way, you mentioned um, FBI, and it, uh, certainly don't have that in, in Scotland, but you did just become a U.S. citizen officially. Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe that dream's still alive. It, yeah, there you go. Let me, let me work on that. Yeah, there was a few interesting questions. I felt like they were just added in. I don't know if I can say them, but yeah, there was a few. Like asking me about if I'm cool with covert operations when I was doing the citizenship thing. I went, everyone get asked this. This just me personally. Am I going to get sent off like James Bond or something because I've got the accent like Sean Connery? Yeah, that, that's uh, you know, that tracks though, right? Uh, I mean, it works for me. But yeah, it's awesome that you know I got the citizenship thing done. And, um, I probably should have done that a long time ago, but it's very cool. I always wanted to. You know, being WWE, which involved living in America, and you know, you look at my story or read my book, My Chosen Destiny, available now, and you'll see that I really am, uh, you know, an example of the American dream and the way things have worked out. Really looking forward to uh, to SummerSlam, and, and you're right, it was a, a big hit here in, in Nashville. It's going to be packed at Ford Field in Detroit, and uh, as you all know, we're we're getting the the new dome right here in in Nashville. Hopefully, WrestleMania. Yeah is you know on the horizon for music city yeah that would be that'd be something and uh, i'm excited to see what the, the stadium looks like yeah um now recently when you know, taylor swift was having one of those crazy concerts with so many people in the stadium and outside the stadium i remember driving by and it was pouring and i was like all right i'll be happy when this new stadium comes because we have a show here um, and it pours because we did have a show and it didn't pour thank goodness last year SummerSlam. Um, you know, we'd be, we'd be screwed. <laughs> I've done a WrestleMania when it was raining and it was not very fun. I slipped outside the ring of it five times in Tampa. So let's get that dome and get Mania to Nashville. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the lightning delay in Tampa was odd. I mean, that, that's, you know, you're getting ready and then all of a sudden everything's paused. The fans and have to it never go happened out. before. And boy, was I excited to be in the first match. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all live on the air. What should we do? And then I was like, you know what? And last night I could just fight each other. We're literally about to just start fighting backstage on camera to pass the time. And we know wait, we're up. <laughs> I mean, I like last year was just like shameless myself going for a noble fight and have a good time punching each other in the face and you know have a drink after. But thankfully, they stopped us before we started fighting each other live in the air to go out for our match. <laughs> Drew, always great, man. Uh, thank you for for joining us. And, and again, we look forward to SummerSlam coming up on on August fifth.
Well, thank you for having me, brother. I always appreciate it. And I will see you down the line and see everybody else at SummerSlam. Yeah, man. We'll catch up soon. There's Drew McIntyre. Okay, brother. WWE superstar. Again, SummerSlam coming up on Saturday, August 5th, exclusively on Peacock. One of the good dudes right there, Chad. And maybe your neighbor. He lives in your area. Maybe you would see him shopping for uh, grilled chicken. One time, uh, in fact, I swung by the grocery store. This is a, I, I, I can't believe I never told you this. Swung by the grocery store. This was this past, I haven't heard this. This past winter, swung by the grocery store after the show. I remember it was pitch black outside after our show ended. And walked in. And there's Drew McIntyre in the produce section. Uh, just roaming around. And what I remember about him was he was in shorts hmm. in the middle of winter, and he had the biggest bruises up and down his legs from whatever event they had just done. But I remember his legs were just black and blue, not the color of the rest of his flesh. And uh, there was Drew wow. McIntyre right there in my neighborhood. Great dude, great accent. Very, yeah. Great job with the interview, Hutton. I could sit and listen to him talk all day. Yeah, he's got so many stories. But he mentioned opening up uh, Mania in Tampa during the lightning delay. Uh, that reminded me. So Logan Paul is now in WWE, apparently doing great things. He will. He is requested to open SummerSlam so that he can have his match in Detroit. He is then taking a private jet to Texas for the Jake Paul and Nate Diaz boxing match. And his hope is, timing-wise, he will be walking into the arena as the first round is starting, as the bell rings. And he will have a matter of minutes to pull it off. That is, I mean, if you can make that happen, that's awesome. It'd be very cool to see a WrestleMania, as you brought up right here in in Nashville eventually. I do think that it will happen. Um, The timing of everything in that profession blows my mind how all of it can fit into the spots they need when it happens. Yeah. Very, very difficult when I try to think about landing everything at the appropriate time. And think about what does go wrong every now and then that should go wrong all the time. When they cover it up. Great at what they do. I know. Coming up, uh, a coach in the AAC is upset with the lack of media questions. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dan Z will join us from Outkick.com. We'll discuss the U.S. women's national team and uh, those who aren't rooting for the United States to win the World Cup. Dan Z will give his take based on the column that he wrote for for Outkick. Asked to come on the show. Dan Z uh, sent out a tweet a little while ago. Oh, did he? He's firing his first shot already. (laughs) Okay, Um, good. Pulled it up. Here it is. I love the USA. Many of the U.S. women's national team do not. If they win the World Cup, it's a bigger platform for them to spread anti-American ideals. I'm not rooting for that to happen. That does not make me, quote, not patriotic. Jumping on hot mic at 520 to discuss. Yes. 
All right, good. Well, we look forward to it. I will save my comments for Dan at 520 Eastern. Chad, uh, there's a coach named Biff. Biff Pogey. Maybe you haven't heard of him. Maybe you have because he was the associate head coach. This is not a nickname, by the way. This is his God-given name on his birth certificate, Biff. That's his nickname. His first name is like Xavier. Uh, Really? He's got two names. Yeah, Biff. The story uh, I read was this is his actual name, is Biff. Uh, but I'll, I'll double check something. that. This is, is Fran- his Francis Xavier. Francis Xavier. Francis Xavier. Francis Xavier. I'd go by Biff Pogey. I would have stuck with Francis. Goes by Biff, and he was the associate head coach at Michigan last year. Uh, he was an uh, he was an analyst for Harbaugh as well at Michigan, and then in between those stints, he was a high school head coach. Now he's the head coach at Charlotte and the AAC. They have their media days going on. Charlotte is not a good program right now. You have Biff Pogey taking over the Charlotte football team, and he didn't take many questions at his media appearance. Any other questions for Coach? That's it? Three questions? Maybe that's because you have us ranked last. That's all what you think of us. (laughs) So that, that we get that message. Thank you. He is. Uh, I love that. I do too. He's intense. There's uh, videos on YouTube of like locker room speeches and stuff. Uh, I hope he has success there. It's going to be tough at Charlotte, especially in this landscape of college football. And it's an increasingly tough conference that he's yeah. in. That's getting tougher. So it's going to be difficult. But I, I like the. Uh, I mean, he's when he was in high school, he was on a, a televised game on ESPN, and I mean, he wore like if you thought Bill Belichick. Dressed down for games. Yeah, this guy was in something I would not wear in my yard to weed eat <laughs> during a game. I don't know if we was, have a photo of that. It was in the Outkick story, but I mean, it is a cutoff T-shirt, Hutton. Okay, that is made into a V-neck, not a V-neck tee. Oh, it's cut that way. He cut it into a V-neck, and he's wearing the T-shirt cut off, and he is not a small man. As a but on. During a game, not a practice. It's or like something. something that a high school boy. Here it is. Something that a high school boy that's in good shape would wear when he's when he's doing landscaping around the hot girl's house. Yeah, except you're not to, wearing to a belt turn her and on. the shirt's not tucked in. This is turning no one on. But he wears that. He wore this four games. <laughs> he was on TV in one of these shirts. I, I hope he sticks with this look you for think, Charlotte games. Do you think Poji would, uh, based on just that look, went to see Barbie or Oppenheimer? Last weekend, uh, neither. Uh, he went to see No Hard Feelings <laughs> with Jennifer Lawrence instead. He's more of a hard. He's more of a, an R-rated comedy guy than he is anything else. <laughs> Hardcore comedy is yeah. what gets Biff Pogey going. Is it Pogey or Pogey? Pogey. Either one fits perfectly. Pogey, Pogey doesn't matter. With a yeah. shirt like that, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, here's uh, to all the success, Coach Pogey at uh, at Charlotte. Chad, uh, it is time for the strangest headlines yes, it is. of the day. Here let's is, fire it up. Let's get weird with Davey Hudson. And five, four, three, two, one, zero. Talking now. All right, guys. To get us going today, we go down to Brazil. And this story, uh, you can read about it on OutKick. Uh, there's a video to it, but the video is actually in Portuguese. If you don't know the actual uh, official language in Brazil is Portuguese. We're, we're big in Lisbon, though, so we can play it. Okay. Our audience knows uh, Portuguese very well. Huge well, in Lisbon. That's what the analytics show us. So, 
So this story has been circulating pretty heavy in South America because these two people ended up going on just like, you know, they were walking by and ended up doing an interview. And I guess somebody asked them how they kind of met each other. And I just thought it was interesting because this woman fell for a man who actually robbed her and like during a mugging and it led from one thing to another. So uh, Emanuela is the woman's name. You can see her on your screen there. Uh, The guy's name uh, in the white shirt, I don't. They, he just remained nameless for this interview, but she said that she was walking down the street where he lives, and unfortunately, I ended up being mugged. Uh, this man stole her phone, and uh, pretty much, you know, it's just a, a situation that's not going well if you're going to rob somebody in a situation. And uh, eventually, the guy said that, you know, I saw her photo <laughs> on the, the phone and decided to take it back to her. And that ultimately led to that relationship being formed. He, he kind of made some excuses about how he was going through a rough time. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a woman. And, uh, I, you know, I was like, wow, this, this girl's incredible. She's yeah. it's a beautiful brunette. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how. Listen, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I've got game. But the fact that you robbed somebody and you managed to turn that into a relationship it's pretty impressive, if you ask me. Going through a tough time. It, that would have continued had she been ugly. Yeah. Would have kept it. Also, um, <laughs> this is not that weird because what? there is a subsect of women that are very much into this. Uh, get, they having have, their, they get have being, being robbed? robbed? Crime fantasies. <laughs> this is a thing. Hutton, we know someone. <laughs> I will never reveal who it is, but we know someone that oh. has dated someone. You're right. We do. That has um, uh, just, I wouldn't wouldn't say the right words, amazing, that has almost unbelievable stories about what this person sought in relationships. It's much like women who are into guys in prison. That that was a fetish, though. Is this a fetish? You're calling this a fetish? I think this starts as a fetish and turns into a relationship. I think think that there was a... The the response you're supposed to have when someone accosts you or mugs you or attacks you there's a chemical in the brain with some people that that does not set off the right do response we, to it. Do we know that this is actually legit and they're just not coming up with the story on how they met? I think it's he's, legit. He's no, not I think, giving I think his name. this is something that happens. He's I not really giving do. his name in this. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't right? give my name too if I admitted to. Look, I, I'm not going to go any further with it. I'll just say, you know, there's uh, stuff on the internet you can read about and find what I'm talking about <laughs> <Okay>. right now. <laughs> the dark web. You know what I'm talking about. I, I do. Yeah, I we, do. Yeah, we would never, ever it's an extreme, discuss a friend uh, in that way, yeah. but we know someone that has stories similar to this these, that would track well, what this woman may be into. These two have stories as well, no doubt. Of course. So they've been together <laughs> for two years, but I'll go ahead and take this time to transition into our next story, which the woman I'm about to talk about would probably love for something like this to happen to her. But there is a, we'll just call her a lonely Japanese woman who has, she eventually got arrested because she ended up making 2,761 fake emergency calls. And it took that last one to get her arrested? <laughs> I, I, we don't know. Do we not know the statutes in Japan? I thought 2,760 were not enough. It took the one. I wonder if she went to, like, did she get a bunch of disposable phones? Was she calling from a different phone every time? Well, they, the fact they can track that means it's got to be very similar. If uh, only a, if there were multiple phones, not many of them. And I would, I mean, 
I would venture to guess there are more calls that were made. They just don't know the, the official number. That's I think a very you should specific be number. locked away at like 276, not 2,761. Hiroki Hadagami. I'm sure I nailed that. 51 years old. Uh, this happened over a span between August 15th, 2020, and this past May of uh, May 25th, of 2023, and. She wow yeah so it just it took several years I mean at the end of the day it's kind of sad that she is this lonely like this is the only way she can get attention but she would use excuses such as uh, my legs hurt uh, I took a large dose of medicine and at times they would actually send an ambulance at least early on and she would say like I don't want to take an ambulance or I wasn't the one that made that call but I mean it's 2023 we all have caller ID we can we can track that pretty easily. I mean, this woman should be either be arrested, jailed, or institutionalized. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, she's lonely. No, you go to yeah. jail for this. You are occupying resources that should be used for people with actual emergencies. This is a dangerous thing she's doing. Throw her in jail. It should not take 2,761 fake emergency calls to get there over a three year period. I was hoping this was going to start back in like 1984. And it just happened over time, and she moved addresses a number of times and was able to evade the authorities for 30-some-odd years. This happened in three years? Yes. Japan, your police force, where are you? Arrest this woman or lock her away in a mental institution. Well, One of the two, please. One of the big questions I have is, was she calling the same number? Because I, I was like, uh, for those, here's your fact of the day. If you're ever in Japan, their version of 911 is 110. So... Is she calling like different fire crews? Is she calling? Uh, oh, instead of just one one zero. Instead of just yeah, instead of doing that, That's like there's other non-emergency like services that, that you can do. Which also is just random. But I, I didn't realize that the nine one one system wasn't really installed in or yeah installed in like the U S. until the late nineteen sixties. So we never really had a uniform system, and so the FCC asked. AT&T to actually put something forward because mm. was is there actually a meaning behind 911 or they just make it up out of thin air well at the time there was no area code that was 911 so they were able to use that and it was also just something short that you would be able to remember and so that's how that came about and the first 911 call ever was in Alabama I can't remember the senator's name but they they did something where he called another representative and that was like the first time in 1967 I had so, no idea so, yeah, I wanted to make sure you at least came away with learning something. Good knowledge, Davey. I like, uh, Davey knows the uh, emergency uh, number for Japan. Do you, uh, <laughs> you say it like you're going you're gonna to need it. I, I mean, you might. You never know. But uh, the first ever just uniform emergency system was implemented in Great Britain. And their number, I think that was in the late 30s. And their number is 999. So. I kind of like 999 better. But also, I feel like you get more wrong calls, like just hitting that number, you know, too many times on somebody because it's the same d yeah. digit over and over again. So it's good to have that separation of nine on the bottom. I mean, I'm thinking old phones, right? Yeah. And then, oh, the rotary? Yeah. What else, Dave? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Got a little distracted there. So uh, final story <laughs> for today. So we talked about briefly Jordan Addison. You know, he got pulled over going 140 miles an hour and I think was a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone. Uh, he's issued an apology, but the reason he gave, and I want to make sure I attribute this to the right person, but Paul Walsh of the Star Tribune uh, 
Addison told the state trooper that he was speeding due to a dog emergency. Uh, with him? Was the dog with him? No, he was trying to get back to his residence to check on the dog, which, I mean, we can all tell is just a lie. Uh, what's the best? I mean, he was in a 2021 Lamborghini, so it's one of those things. Yeah. We know he's just testing the limit. The, initially, when I, I saw the story, and I think I told you this, Chad, I, I had to remind myself that he actually transferred from Pitt to USC and not Pitt to Georgia. <laughs> so, well played. Well yeah. played, yeah. He but. avoided uh, the, the, the road rage, the Fast and the Furious down in Athens. I, um, I would have so many follow-up questions if I'm the cop that pulls someone over and they say dog emergency. Did the dog call you? Uh, obviously, a human had to call you. What can the human not do that you have to do for the dog in order for the emergency? I'd really want a full explanation of the dog emergency, if that's what someone claimed, doing 140 miles per hour. Does it say what, what time of day this was or night? Uh, that's that's the other question. thing. I'm, yeah, we're driving 85 miles per hour over the, the uh, speed limit. If you know, dog emergency at, what, 3.30 in the morning, or is this... Uh, 10:45 a.m. There's a difference there too that would be more believable I, than yeah. you know the either one is ridiculous for this excuse. But I, if you're using that at 3:45 a.m., chances are there's no dog emergency. You know what my response would be if I was the cop? <laughs> I do. Have you ever had a Rather cop that follow dog you? Die than all the humans you're about to kill yeah, doing 140. Let, let the dog go. Yeah. You, you ever had a cop follow you Nature. to your location like you said? Oh no, I'm just oh, going escort? here. Yeah. Well, they're just pretty much making sure you're not lying. Yeah. But, so did they do that here? He was still sided. No, yeah, he got a citation for I mean, reckless driving. At that point, there's no reason to follow him around. Yeah. But Coming up, Northwestern football and the fact that they remain silent even though they're at media days.